we go. First Corinthians, we're diving in. Um, calling this study uh, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly because uh, this... Could we get some house lights on? That would be great. Um, because this uh, book, uh, this letter that Paul's write, Paul writes to this church in Corinth, this church is jacked up, like jacked up, jacked up beyond all recognition of what a church should look like. Uh, I think we have this kind of idealized version or view of kind of the way the, uh, you know, first century church looked and like, we oh, we want to we get back to the way it was, you know, in, in the New Testament. And I'm like, no, we don't. It was messed up. And so, especially in this particular city. And so, uh, there, now there's a lot of, like, there is a lot of good here in this book and, and, and good things to recognize and stuff like that. That, that, that are going on. There's also a lot of bad stuff, and then there's just some plain ugly stuff that's happening in this church. And we're going to uh, spend this fall kind of working our way through this letter, and it is a powerful letter. It's a powerful letter. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a letter that's very appropriate to, I think, who we are as a people as well. It's a good reminder to us of what church should be and what it shouldn't be. You know, there's, you know, that, that's, that, you guys ever see those, I should have put it up there, that, those, um, demotivational posters. You ever seen those demotivational? I love, love those things so much. There's one of those demotivational posters that says, um, I can't remember, I can't remember what, the, what the big heading is, but it's, it's a picture of a, a sinking ship. And the tagline is, it could be that the purpose of your life is just to serve as a warning to someone else. <laughs> and so <laughs> I love, and so that's kind of, I think, the church in Corinth to a T. You know, it serves as a warning to us about what, what to do right and what not, what, you know, what kind of things to avoid and, and that sort of thing. So we're going to dive into this uh, hot and heavy for the next uh, couple months, and it's, it's, I'm really looking forward to it. I am starting to regret, though, this last week we also started the Tuesday night study on Galatians, and uh, I'm, I'm starting to regret teaching through, at the same time, two letters of Paul because it's really hard to keep straight in my mind uh, what's going on where, but, but uh, we'll, we'll try to work through it anyway. So let me, let me give you a little breakdown about this city of Corinth. So put that map up there. Uh, this is uh, kind of the ancient world, uh, you know, kind of the, the spread of Christianity. You got Jerusalem down here. Damascus is where Paul met Jesus and was converted to Christianity. And then Paul began to spread uh, and plant churches all across the Roman Empire. Corinth is down there at the bottom of Greece. It was a harbor town because of its location, both in uh, Greece, a very uh, literally Greco-Roman city, uh, and also a, a, a trading port and that sort of thing. It was a bustling city. It was a very metropolitan city. It was a very intelligent, educated city, uh, very prideful about who they were as a people and the place that they played in the Roman Empire. I mean, they were a thoroughly Roman uh, uh, um, city. In fact, if you take a look at uh, kind of this artist rendering of the city, go ahead and put that up. Um, you'll see, I mean, it was a, thir- you don't have to pay attention to the words. I just wanted you to see the image. It was a, a thoroughly Roman city, uh, you know, with, with temples to Greek gods, uh, with big theaters and coliseums and, uh, um, you know, palaces and shopping centers and all kinds of stuff. This is just the, the areas of old ancient, uh, Corinth that they've actually dug up in, uh, archeological digs and stuff like that. That's what was actually there in those exact places uh, but again, this very thoroughly Roman city. Corinth was a very prideful city. They loved that they ha- had the place that they had in the Roman Empire, that they had this kind of uh, best of both worlds because, um, I mean, they were proud of the fact that the, not only were they Roman, which they were thoroughly Roman, 
but that they were Greek too, and that they were thoroughly Greek. You know what I mean? So they just, they really got into that whole thing. And so you bring Christianity into that mix. Paul starts a church there. You bring Christianity into that mix, and what happens is um, it's kind of a, a, a recipe for disaster in terms of if you can't get people to really buy into this new kingdom ethic that Jesus launches, uh, and they try to mix it with their old ethic that they had, uh, it's not going to set right. It's not going to go right. And so, so this was a church that was constantly in transition, constantly uh, kind of learning from mistakes and having to be... I mean, Paul's letters to uh, of First and Second Corinthians are some of the most harshly worded letters that he wrote. Uh, I would say Galatians is even more harshly worded. Uh, but, uh, but it is, uh, he, he doesn't hold back any punches. I mean, he lets him, kind of lets him have it and lets him know, I mean, in love. I mean, he's kind of, he kind of views himself as the spiritual father of this church. He helped plant them, helped bring a lot of them to Christ and, and, and that sort of thing, introduced them to Jesus. And so he, he kind of approaches them as this kind of spiritual father, and he doesn't mind saying things very directly. And so, so you'll see as we kind of get into this, um, and so as he sets off in this first chapter, he's, he really is trying to set the stage of what the overall gist of this letter is. And it's a pretty lengthy letter. I mean, I don't, I don't know when the last time you wrote a letter was, but, um, but you haven't written one this long, I guarantee you. And, and, and I mean, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty lengthy letter. In fact, First um, Corinthians uh, references a previous letter that Paul wrote to them. So, and then... And then Second Corinthians references a previous letter that he wrote to them that we don't think is First Corinthians, and so uh, at least that we know of, he wrote at least four different letters to the church at Corinth, and First and Second Corinthians are actually probably the second and fourth letters, if that makes any sense. Um, but, but so anyway, I mean, he he has a he has a love for this church, he has a care for them, a concern for them. He wants to see things go uh, the way that they should go, and so he he doesn't mind saying some hard things. And, uh, and so he, he, Paul is Paul. He's awesome. And, um, and so we'll kind of get into, you know, some of that awesomeness as we, as we go through this book. He just says, he just says whatever. He just, you just either love Paul or you hate him. And I've talked to some of you that, that genuinely hate him. And, and, uh, and I used to hate him, uh, but I've, I've grown to love him. And, and in fact, I think he's about my favorite now because I realized that I'm kind of Paul. Not, not like awesome like he is. <laughs> But I'm just like direct, sarcastic, rude. That's just me. And so me and Paul get along really well, right? And so anyway, so get, kind of get into that. It's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, So let's just dive into to this, these first nine verses. We're going to go through the whole chapter, chapter one today. But just these first nine verses, look what it says. This is the way he starts off his letter. Now, there's a theme that runs through these first nine verses, and you can't hardly miss it. But just in case some of you did, I helped you, okay? You'll see how, as we read along, you'll see how I helped you, okay? So... Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. We're going to come back to Sosthenes in a little bit. And our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a pretty typical uh, introduction to a letter that Paul would do. It's, got, it's very theological in language, and he, he, he likes to kind of set up who it is, he's, what he's all about, and who it is he's serving. 
Uh, start in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, so in these first nine verses, Paul says by name Jesus Christ uh, about nine times. And, 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 I mean, he, he is wanting to saturate the content and, and, and anchor the content of this letter, not in who he is, not in this is daddy checking up on you, but in Jesus Christ. And he reminds them all along the way. Go back to that slide, uh, verse 1 there, where he, he's like, he's like I, was, I was called by the will of God to be, a possible, uh, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He goes on and says, uh, you, you all were sanctified in Christ Jesus. Your, your lives are being cleaned up and, and changed through Christ Jesus. He, he goes on to say that um, you've called to be saints together with all the other churches, and that happens through Jesus Christ. The grace and the peace that you experience in your faith comes from Jesus Christ. Down on verse 4, he, he goes on and he says, um, he says I, give, I thank God because of the bond that we have in Christ Jesus. He says we got this common testimony that is revealed through Jesus Christ. We, are, we wait for the reveal. We, we, we have this hope that not all things are, we're not always going to be persecuted. We're not always going to be under the thumb of the Roman Empire. We're not always going to be on the downside, constantly backpedaling, constantly feeling beat up in our faith and in our life. We have this hope that someday Jesus Christ will be revealed to us. And we, not only that, but through Jesus Christ, we'll we'll be found guiltless on that day. And we were all called into this fellowship. It's the fellowship of Jesus Christ. He's rooting it all in in right there. And what I love about this is this is what he's trying to say, is that your life, your life is a chapter in the story of Jesus. Your life is a chapter in the story of Jesus. Now, a lot of times when we think about the story of our own lives, we tend to think about it in terms of, you know, the, the, the story of my life is not totally written yet, it's not finished yet, and, and we think about the story of our life. And, and, and according to the Christian faith, and especially according to what Paul says, Paul says that's actually kind of backwards the, thinking that it's not you that the story is about. The story is not about you. The story is about Jesus, and you're just a chapter in that story. You're just a chapter that your whole life all of the hope you have in your life, the calling, the sense of calling you might feel, any kind of sense of grace and peace and redemption and anything else that is all rooted in the story of Jesus Christ. But your story plays a part in that overarching story. Don't miss that. He mentioned there in the first uh, verse that he gives co-writing credit to a guy named Sosthenes. Sosthenes, now this is an interesting character because you go back to the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 18, maybe 17. Um, it, that tells the story of when Paul goes into the city of Corinth and starts planting that church there. And as Paul did, what he would do is he would first go to whatever Jewish synagogue was in that city because Jews were scattered all over that world and they would set up synagogues in different cities. And first, so he, first he would go to the Jewish synagogues because they had a common heritage, a common sense of story that God was doing something through a Messiah that was Jesus Christ. And so there was less groundwork to be, uh, to be done there. So he would start first with the synagogue. Well, what happened in Corinth is that most of them, a few of them were converted 
But most of them, especially the leaders of that synagogue, they were not having it at all. At all. They just weren't having it. And so eventually what happens is the leader of the synagogue uh, is converted to Christianity and then he's kicked out of the synagogue and a new leader is chosen to lead that synagogue in Corinth, a guy by the name of Sosthenes. And Sosthenes and Paul did not get along. And Sosthenes wasn't have any of Paul's Jesus message. He wasn't wanting to listen to it. And so what he did was he took Paul before the judge or the kind of consulate of that, uh, of, of that day in the city of Corinth. And there was this, this place there in the city. It was actually on that map, but this place that they called the judgment seat where you could bring an accusation against somebody and bring them and have, that, have it heard and have it judged and that sort of So he takes Paul to that place and says, basically, uh, he's, he's preaching an unlawful religion. He's disrupting our synagogue. He's eventually, this is eventually going to disrupt your way of life as, as Romans and that sort of thing. And he, he's trying to get Paul arrested at the least, right? And so what happens is the, the, the guy who heard that complaint, I believe his name was uh, Gallius. I'll have to double check that. But I, anyway, it's in Acts chapter 17 or 18. Anyway, this guy that heard the complaint... Uh, he hears it and he's like, what, what, why, why are you, bug- why are you bugging me with this? Why, why can't you just handle this on your own? Why in the world are you, get out of here, you're wasting my time, go take care of this on your own. And then he, he kind of points to the other Roman dudes that are sitting around him and they're like, take care of this joker. And so they go down and start beating the snot out of Sosthenes. And so here's Sosthenes, <laughs> he's trying to get on the good side of the Roman government. He ends up getting the snot beat out of him. And then, he's, and then because of that, now he's brought the whole uh, um, synagogue into disrepute in that city. And so his own people begin to kind of turn on him. And now here, now that's the last we hear of Sosthenes in the story of Acts. And then we hear him about him again right here, that he's helping Paul write this letter. Beautiful. It's beautiful. I have to imagine that probably what happened was Paul saw this guy getting the snot beat out of him and said, okay, yeah, I've had that happen to me once or twice too. I should probably go help him. <laughs> I should probably go help him. And Paul probably reached out in grace to this guy and said, you know what? This, your story is not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. You're just a chapter in it. And he's still writing it. He's still writing it. He shared the grace of God with Sosthenes to the point that now he's co-authoring. Uh, he gets a co-author credit to this book. We, our stories are not yet completed. But make no mistake about it that our stories ultimately aren't our stories. We're bit players in the story of Jesus Christ. We're bit players in the story that he's working throughout all of human history to bring about the redemption of all creation and all mankind. And, I, and those stories are important to us, but we must never elevate our story above the story of Jesus Christ. We always have to see our story as it, as it takes place in that context. Some of you are new around here, and uh, I should have brought this video clip, but uh, you may not know this, but I acted in an Oscar-winning movie. And, um, and so I, I, I was an extra in the movie Moneyball, uh, and my, my big face is really big on the screen at the climax of the movie, and it's awesome. I, I, I nailed it. I'm just going to say it. I nailed it. It was really great. And, and so now in that, I, I have to admit, I was a little upset that my name doesn't show up in the credits or anything, uh, because they they really capitalized on my image, but um, <laughs> but here, here's what here's I I I also was a little disappointed that I didn't I like as an there should be an Oscar for best extra because I think I would have won it, I really think I would have won it, 
But here's the thing, like, I don't want to say I showed up Brad Pitt. I, I wouldn't say that. So here, here's the thing. It, it, it's, as, it's about as ridiculous for us to make our lives about us as it is for me to make the movie Moneyball all about me, right? I had, I had about a half a second uh, in that movie, and it was beautiful. No, it was awesome. But it was about a half a second of a, of a two- or three-hour movie, right? And so when we try to make our lives completely about us, it is really an exercise in missing the point, really an exercise in missing the point that we are bit players in the ultimate story of Jesus Christ. Now, the work that he does through us and in us is significant. No, don't, mis- don't mistake that. It is significant. It's very real and very important to us. It's a big deal. However, ultimately, the story is Jesus' story. So when you view the story of your life and how things are going, I just want to ask you, do you tend to view it as Like, how do I fit into the story of Jesus? Or are you, like most of us, kind of going, how do I fit Jesus into my story? That's insanity. It's insanity. We don't fit Jesus into our story. We allow ourselves to get absorbed into the story of Jesus. That's, That's the way that goes. So, he moves on in verse 10. And he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that Each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So let me me real quickly just kind of break down what's going on in this section. Basically, word has got back to Paul that all these divisions have started taking place. Now, try to set yourself in that world, in this kind of Greek and Roman world, where one of the highest things that was valued in that society was the idea of philosophy, Um, the way you viewed the world, the way you viewed life, and that sort of thing. And all these different philosophers would gather around their disciples and gather, you know, and so so these different teachers would occasionally rise up and they would gain popularity and, and they would come into the city and they would kind of spout off their view of what the world should be like. And then certain people in the city would go, man, I really like that guy. I really like the way he, he thinks about things. And I, man, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of with him. You know, I kind of, I'm kind of put myself in his camp. And somebody else would come along and view their, you know, spout off their philosophy and their view of the way the world should be and the way the world works. And then another group of people would go, no, I think I prefer him. And so, so you had all, you, constantly in this city, there were always these kind of uh, divisions kind of around philosophical discussions that would take place. Like, I'm a follower of, uh, I'm just using this example, I'm a follower of Aristotle, no, I'm more of a follower of Plato, or I'm a, you know, that's the wrong time frame, but you, you kind of get what I'm saying, right? So, so it was all, all that was always happening. And so being that the kind of uh, ground, the kind of world that these, this church lived in, 
it was just very natural for them to begin to do the same thing within the context of the church. So different preachers, different apostles, different whatever people, leaders would come around, teachers would come around, and so, so suddenly they began to say, you know what, I'm more of a Paul guy. Another guy would say, you know what, I'm, I don't know, I, I really like the way Apollos does this, and I'm, I'm really more of a him, you know, I really like him. Some, some of the super holy, super spiritual, self-righteous people like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just a Jesus Christ guy. Right? You know, just, I'm just, just, just me and Jesus. I don't need all these other teachers or whatever. And so they would kind of divide up into these camps. And, and what would happen is that they really began to divide along these lines of ideology uh, to where it wasn't just an interesting discussion. Uh, legitimate divisions were beginning to take place in the church around these things. And Paul is going, what in the world? What, what, did, did, did Paul die for you? Did, did Apollos raise himself from the dead? What, what is going on here? And, and so he's, he's trying to kind of get it back into perspective. He says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, I thank God, in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then he remembers, oh, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't uh, know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, he, he kind of throws in that last little, little statement there because Apollos was known as a, a really powerful preacher back in this day. I mean, he was a really gifted communicator, and, and his, his reputation spread around in, in, in a good way. Like, you know, we have people that a lot of you listen to, uh, you know, podcasts of different pastors or preachers or whoever, you know, around the world, and you have the ones that you like that, you, that just resonate in your heart, and you're like, man, I really like that guy's style or whatever. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with Apollos. And so people, some people would say, well, Apollos is way more eloquent. He's way more educated, it seems like, or eloquent than Paul is. And Paul, you know, his, his, his approach is kind of simple. And I like that deeper stuff. I like the, deep, I like the deeper stuff of Apollos. And so, so Paul's response to that is, um, you know, Christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be empty of its power. Like, like, because ultimately it's not about me. Like, if, if, if my words draw you to me, then I've failed, right? So then he goes on and he says this. Actually, he doesn't go on. I'm going to get to that later, all right? But the point I want to make for, uh, from this is, is, is very simply that don't divide what God has united. Don't divide what God has united. I hope you understand that one of the most magnificent, magnificent things that happened through Jesus Christ through the cross, through the resurrection, one of the most magnificent things that happened was that Jesus brought all men, women, boys, and girls in the entire world under the same banner of Jesus Christ. That he united what had previously been separated by sect and race and uh, um, religion and, and, and philosophies and everything else. And he's like, everybody stands on level ground at the foot of the cross. We are all one. There is no uh, Greek or Jew. There's no, um, there's no man or woman. There's no any of this. We're all just simply one in Christ Jesus. And yet we spend so much time trying to take what Jesus has united and, div and divvy it up. Divvy it up. And it is hurtful to the cause of Christ and it's hurtful to the church of Christ. Now, here's the thing. I get it. I, I, I get the desire 
To se- like that's, that's another thing that's kind of built in us to kind of separate ourselves from other people. It makes us feel somehow special or whatever else. And then we do it in all kinds of areas of life. It's not just, it doesn't just happen in church. You got your A's people and you got your Giants people. You got your, um, you know, you got your San Francisco 49ers and you got your Las Vegas Raiders. You got your, uh-huh, I see what I did there. <laughs> see, I love it. I love it. I love doing those little separations. I love it. It's so much fun. I love that stuff. And, and we, we all do. And we separate along. You, you separate, you know, you know, different fan groups of TV shows and whatever else. You know, I mean, I mean, we just love kind of getting in our own little tribes. And that's all well and good. It's all well and good. Except when it comes to uh, if it gets out of hand in the context of church. Now, when Paul says, I want you all to agree, he doesn't mean just be yes men and yes women. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, agree on the things that are important for you to agree on. That even if you have little doctrinal disagreements, and I love, I love the, the debates. I do. I love, one of my favorite parts of Christmas is I get together with my dad and my brothers, and we're all pastors, and we just fight about the Bible the whole time. I love it. Love it. It's just, it's just like yum, 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 yum. I just love it, right? Right? And so, so but, but, but at the end of the day, that's still my dad, and those are still my brothers, and we're still serving the same Jesus Christ, and it's just a fun conversation, right? It's when we take those fun conversations, those interesting conversations, and when those, those, those differing views, and we decide to draw lines, hard lines that cannot be crossed. That's when things get really, really dangerous. This year, we're celebrating the 500th uh, anniversary of, of the Protestant Reformation, which was a really, really great thing, a really, really great thing that had some really, really great outcomes and some really, really horrible outcomes. One of those really, really horrible outcomes, is, you know, and, and, and I, I'm confident that the reformers didn't mean for this to happen. But when they rightfully so elevated the role of Scripture in the life of the believer it, and basically gave permission for any believer to go, you know, I'm, I'm reading the Scripture and the way the church is teaching that, I'm not, I don't think that's what that means. That's a good thing. That's a good thing that, that, that we have the freedom to kind of get into the word for that ourselves. But what eventually happened was, since I don't agree with that, I'm going to start my own denomination. And since I don't agree with you, I'm going to split off of you, and we're going to start our own denomination. It's not good enough for us just to be Baptist. Now I'm going to be Southern Baptist. Now I'm going to be General Baptist. Now I'm going to be a, who, uh, who knows what the crap Baptist. You know, I mean, it's just... We're just, we're just going to go all, we're just going to divide and divide and divide and divide. And, and, and I'm not even saying there's necessarily anything wrong with denominations. I think denominations can serve a good purpose. But when you begin to refuse to cross those denominational lines and not fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ simply because they don't see Scripture exactly the way you see Scripture, this is exactly the kind of stuff Paul's teaching about. And we got to be a people. You heard me say it a dozen times before. That yes, we have an enemy, but that enemy is not Dixon Community Church. That enemy is not United Methodist. That enemy is not the Church of Christ. That enemy is not Calvary Chapel or any of the other ones here in town. That enemy is the enemy. And those are our brothers and sisters. And we should look for opportunities to unite with them on a regular basis. Why? Because ultimately we're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. So fine, you know, have your opinions. Have your little uh, fun arguments and disagreements and debates and things like that. That's all well and good. 
But don't allow those things to cause you to start drawing hard lines that suddenly can't be crossed. And suddenly, your brothers and sisters in Christ are now like taboo. You can't even fellowship with them. Well, you know what they believe. Really, does it matter? Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Then let's go eat. Let's go sit down. So anyway, that's kind of what he's saying there. Don't divide what God has united. Now, the rest of the chapter here, he says this. For the word of cross, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, for it is written, and he quotes Isaiah here, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Paul says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? And where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. He's like, I know everybody wants to seek towards whoever seems the most wise and the most educated and whatever else. But here's the thing about God that you've got to realize is God works on a different play. He He plays by different rules. He's not necessarily looking for the, the best and the brightest and the best looking or the whatever else. God will literally use anybody. Anybody. God put his message in the mouth of a donkey. And so if he can do that, he can use you. He can use you. All right? Keep going. Verse 22. For, for Jews demand signs. And Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Now, now get this. He's saying, our, you know, they want signs and they want wisdom. Our message is very simply, our Christ, our King, our Messiah was crucified, executed in a shameful way on a cross. We, you know, we, we, we pour gold lacquer over crosses nowadays, right? We wear it as jewelry nowadays. That's, that's, that would have been insanity to the first, first century church. It would literally be like us wearing necklaces of an electric chair, right? A hang, hangman's noose around our neck, right? That, that, because that, that was the death of a criminal. And Paul says, you guys are looking for signs. You guys are looking for wisdom. I'm preaching that my king died a criminal's death. And what does he say? He says, this is a stumbling block to Jews. Why? Because there's no way their Messiah would die the death of a criminal. He was going to reign as king and deliver them from the Romans and all this kind of things. There's no way that that could possibly be. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's folly to the Gentiles. The Gentiles look at it, the Romans look at it, and they go, this is just insane. You guys are just, you guys are just playing crazy. Like, how can you call your king? This guy died a criminal's death in shame, naked on a, on a cross, and that's your king? You guys are nuts. It doesn't make any sense to them. He says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. <laughs> He's like, look at yourselves. Look at, look at who you are. You guys, you're nothing wrong to write home about. Right? None of you got, hardly any of you have degrees. So many of you, you didn't come from good parentage. You, you, you're not the most eloquent of speakers necessarily. Look at yourselves. And then he says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, 
to bring to nothing things that are, that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then he says this, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, and he quotes Jeremiah here, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's like the way the world thinks, man, they think they have to lift themselves up high for anybody to hear them, for them to have any impact on the world. They've got to spout off their resume and their list of degrees and their list of who they studied under and all this kind of stuff. And Paul is like, no, no, no. We're, we're, we're members of a new kingdom now. And this, we have a new kingdom ethic. And in this kingdom, it's not your resume that matters. There's one thing that matters. You follow Jesus Christ. Because here's what happens. If you follow Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ can take the weakest, smallest of you and do amazing things through you. How many, you don't have to raise your hand because I know it's most of you. Because I've had conversations with you. How many of you have told yourself over and over and over, whenever you feel a little nudge from the Holy Spirit to do something, to kind of step out and try something, to to follow God in some sort of specific way, and you've told yourself, yeah, I I couldn't do that. I I, I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to lead. I don't know how, you know, that's not me. That's somebody else. I, I couldn't do that. I got this baggage. I got this whatever. And Paul is like, no, no, no. You are a prime candidate to be used in a powerful, powerful way. Because ultimately, God God is not glorified if you get up and do amazing things and then hold up your giant resume of accomplishments and achievements and degrees and everything else. Guess who's glorified in that? It's all you. You you want to know how to glorify God? Just stand up and obey him and allow his power to work through you in miraculous, mighty, life-altering ways for the people that you're ministering to. And people go, man, who are you? And you just go, I'm nobody. I just know Jesus. I just know Jesus. And when God gets the glory through that, God ultimately is, is lifted high through that. It's God in our weakness is made most strong. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So my last point is this, and don't miss it. The gospel is madness. And it's our only hope. It is, it is sheer madness to people who, who, who think they've got this life figured out on their own and they've dialed it in and they know, you know, they know this. And now, hear me when I say this. I am not preaching against education. I think education is awesome. Awesome. I love it. Seek, seek a bunch of it. Go get it. Go, go get a bunch of degrees. Go get, you know, go, you, nowadays everything's on the internet. You don't even have to go pay for it. You just go get it for free. Just go. Go gather all the information, all the knowledge, all the, you know, wisdom of, uh, you know, that this world has to offer. Go gather it all. I think it's great. It makes you a, 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 a better person, I think. I, uh, you can have greater conversations, a wider range of conversations with people. I, I think that's all well and good. But ultimately, when I stand up here, I don't stand up here on the basis of my degrees. I don't stand up here on the basis of the things I've accomplished in my life. I don't stand up here on the basis of my name or where I come from. I don't stand up here based on any of that. I stand up here based solely on the authority of Jesus Christ. It's not my own authority. And when you step out and you do the things that that God calls you to do, 
whether it looks like this or it looks like something totally different. Maybe it looks like you deciding to be a person of integrity in your workplace. Maybe it looks like you deciding to be a person of integrity at school. Maybe it looks like you reaching out to people who you don't feel like you even have a lot of common, common with, but you just feel the Holy Spirit nudging you to say, I want you to share Jesus with these people. Uh, when it looks like you starting a, 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 some sort of ministry or outreach in the community, whatever it is that God is calling you to do, ultimately you don't stand and do that based on how, you know, who you are. You stand and you do that solely on the authority of Jesus Christ. And Jesus takes the weak and he does amazing, amazing things through them. This is what makes the church so beautiful. This is why there are honestly not enough books being written about the church. There's a lot of books being written about church. But I mean books that tell the stories of the church. That's the kind of books that should be being written. Books that tell the stories of what God accomplishes through his people when all they do is simply make themselves available. Because it is nothing short of miraculous on a day-in, day-out basis all over this world. Normal people. And people that have names and degrees and positions too that just submit themselves to Christ. It doesn't matter. People from all walks of life that just simply step forward and say, God, okay, yeah, whatever. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. But I trust you got to figure it out. And you just make yourself available. You become that little boy who brought a, you know, lunchable to Jesus one day, and Jesus took it and fed 5,000 people with it. I, I don't have anything real of significance to offer here, but what I got, you can have. And Jesus takes what we got, and he makes it something amazing. Amazing. And so knowing that that kind of power is available to us, why do we waste so much time just dividing, 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 dividing? I, I, can I share? I didn't even ask permission for this. I'll, I'll ask him later. <clears throat> I met with a bunch of pastors the other day because we're planning a, a joint celebration here in town with, the, with all the churches of, of the uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I'll, you'll get more information about, about that coming soon. It's going to be a, a neat event. But I was talking to one of the pastors here in town who said that they were um, kind of making some steps to start a, a Spanish-speaking congregation here in Dixon. And I was like, man, that has been on our mind for forever. And we were just talking about how difficult it is because I think most of us have the heart that we really want to do that and we want to see it done and that we know we are completely ill-equipped for the task. Complete, like like it's, it's a complex thing. You really have to bring in, you know, good, strong Spanish-speaking pastors and help them plant a congregation and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and so he's saying, yeah, we've been talking about this. I'm saying, yeah, we've, we've been having conversations about it too. It's something we really want to do. And what did not rise up in me was like, oh, we got to jump on this before they do it. That's not what happened. Instead, what I said was, Dude, it could be that this is the God's solution to all of this. So it could be that we just all band together and start a congregation, and we just all help support a church plant here in town, and it just goes. Something that's really awesome. I don't know. I don't know what God's plan for that is. But what I know is that we're stronger together than we are separate. What I know is, is, is that we have an enemy, and it's not each other. 
What I know is I, I might disagree with some theological points of, of that pastor, but I call him a friend and a brother, and I love him, and I pray for him. And how awesome is it if we can band together? Like, it's easy. Like, you know, we're a part of a group of churches, you know, a denomination. But I feel a much stronger partnership with the other pastors here in town across denominational lines than I do with the pastors in that denomination. Not that there's anything wrong with those guys. They're great guys, too. But we here in Dixon, in this area, that we're all on the same mission. We're all trying to reach the same people. So let's join together and let's do that. And it's just simply, and here's the thing. I don't know if you noticed, but there's not, a, there's not a great big old fancy church here in Dixon. But you know what? There's a bunch of people who love Jesus. There's a bunch of people who can say, yeah, okay. I don't have the resources as whatever church down the road, but whatever resources I have, I'll, I'll give to you, God. Let's get some stuff done. I believe when you say you can do strong things through weak people that I'm included in that list, so do some strong things through me. And we just put ourselves out there like that. Let's be that kind of church. There's a lot of stuff wrong with churches in the world, and this is kind of where Paul is going with the rest of this letter. Yes, there's a lot of jacked up situations in churches, and we shouldn't ignore them, sweep them under the rug, or let's deal with them head on. But what should be beautiful about the church is Jesus Christ. And if we can't make Jesus beautiful, then something's seriously wrong. Because he's beautiful all by himself. And if we can't put the message of the gospel out there and make it appealing and make it beautiful and make it attractive, then, man, we are, we've got some issues we've got to work through. So let's be that church that just says, you know what, if you call Jesus your Lord, you're my brother, you're my sister. Let's do whatever we can together. Let's get on the same page. Let's be the beautiful church that God called us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for your word to us today. I thank you so much that you use somebody like Paul, um, a persecutor of Christians, a Pharisee, a legalist, um, and, you, and you helped a man like that somehow understand the gospel of grace and used him to help billions of people that came after him understand it better as well and so just thank you thank you for this word god i pray that you would just help us to reach across lines of division lines of disagreement and really get a clear sense of what is you know really worth disagreeing about and what's not what's better fodder for um, a fun conversation versus drawing hard lines between each other. God, help us to look to the right things about people. Thank you for sending us uh, constantly throughout history men and women who have a powerful voice, who are able to inspire other believers, and draw people close to you through, through their just ability to present your message. Thank you for that. But help us to see in them what's actually important. And it's not them, it's just simply you. Help us to see the value in that. Ultimately, we're not a disciple of that person. We're, they're helping us become better disciples of you. So, we just love you. 
God, I pray that you would be with us over the next few months as we work our way through this book. And, and uh, I pray that, that in, us, in it, you would give us a vision for a more beautiful church. And uh, that you would just increase the effectiveness and the beauty that is Living Hope Church. And um, help us to be more faithful to your calling in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen.